2: I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in.
3: Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fort and Deirdre Bosa. Uh, Today, thousands of layoffs at Intel ahead of what most expect will be a brutal end of the year for technology. We'll talk about the market reaction next. Then another public company taken private as Vista Equity acquires Nob4 for just short of $5 billion. Later on, uh, record lows for PC sales, not enough to deter this optimism at Microsoft. Uh, their of devices will join us toward the
2: bottom of the hour, John. Yeah, Carl, but uh, we did get new inflation data this morning, numbers hotter than expected across the board, the NASDAQ coming off five straight days of losses. It's a little lower than flat right now, comes as mega cap names continue to see weakness. Microsoft, Meta, Amazon, all down 7% or more over the last week. And then new today, a Bloomberg report that Intel plans to lay off thousands this month. Cutting costs as CEO Pat Gelsinger pursues a turnaround with PC sales weakening and tough competition. Earnings are October 27th. For more context, Carl, Microsoft announced Surface Pro 9 line today. It's got ARM chips as an equal option. And of course, Apple's gaining share in the PC market with ARM-based M1 and M2 chips that are outperforming Intel in Mac. So squeezed from the sort of macro perspective and on share in PCs, perhaps. Yeah, we're going to start talking more and more, deep potentially in the weeks ahead on some
3: of these markets where the end market itself is weak and how much, literally, how we can start quantifying their ability to rein in cost as a result.
0: Yeah, you can almost see that Microsoft announcement, though, in the new line of surfaces. The fact that they are still using Intel chips may be bullish. I mean, I maybe some question why they didn't just make that full switch to ARM. Um, guys, too, just questions about Intel's finances. Do they need to pursue that dividend cut? Gelsinger says no, um, perhaps plans to sell Mobileye, IPO it rather, um, could provide some support there. Uh, Meanwhile, guys, another day, another buyout. Yesterday, it was Tomo Bravo announcing a more than $2 billion all-cash-take private deal for software company ForgeRock. Today, it is Vista Equity announcing an almost $5 billion take private deal for cybersecurity company Nobefore 4 Both companies being taken at, private, at prices double digits below their highs of the year as private equity continues to try and take advantage of these weak stock prices, weak funding environment. What was interesting about this one, guys, is that this was an LBO, a leveraged buyout. Tomo Brava has been doing all cash deals. And we know that those LBOs are a little bit harder to do, maybe much harder to do in this tight credit market. Um, so some of the players that are doing them are increasingly turning to private credit providers. So as a whole, if you look across the PE landscape, John, um, LBOs have accounted for about $175 billion of private equity deals, 262 during the same period of 2021. So this kind of private equity deal is um, is a little bit more muted, but those all-cash deals certainly making up for it.
2: Well, what was interesting to me about this one, uh, Vista for No Before, is that No Before wasn't doing that bad. I mean, uh, it had just come public April of last year. Yeah, the stock price is down, but everybody's stock price is down. It wasn't down that much relatively. Cyber's been strong, Carl. So the fact that they're going this route, that private equity, that private investors are still spending money on the right sorts of things. Just last week, I talked to Nick Schneider of Arctic Wolf. I've mentioned that uh, $400 million raise in convertible debt, and he talked about consolidation happening in security. So uh, there's strength, there's demand, but those that are operationally stronger that have an eye toward being platforms are looking to grow, and perhaps those that are more point solutions are looking for other uh, combination options, this being one. Yep. Pretty fascinating. Uh, Interesting. We'll dig into that a bit later on. In the meantime, what does
3: the rest of the year hold for equities? Our next guest is anticipating an earnings dip as low as 22% below consensus and predicting that a 23 estimate correction is also imminent. Joining us this morning, Morgan Stanley's chief investment officer, chief U.S. equity strategist, Mike Wilson. Mike, great to have you back. Thanks for the time today.
4: Thank you, Carl. Good to see you.
3: You know, the market's been hypnotized by this notion of a Fed pivot, but you've been busy trying to look through it and argue that even if one comes, sure, it could lead to rallies, but it's going to lead the market to think about longer term issues that the Fed really can't do anything about.
4: Well, that's right. I mean, we're we're very focused now on the path of earnings, right? This is the second part of the fire and ice narrative. And, you know, while the Fed is still critically important to asset markets, you know, we don't think there's an imminent pivot coming anytime soon. Uh, in terms of like our true pivot, where they not only pause but really start cutting rates, we think that will come when it becomes apparent that we're either in a recession or there's some sort of you know stress in the financial markets that the Fed has to react to. So in the meantime, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on what we do best, which is forecasting earnings a year out. And on that score, unfortunately, you know our models are are pretty pessimistic, right? That the that the forward earnings estimates by the Street are probably about 20% too high. Relative to what our models are saying. Now we don't get everything right, of course, but directionally that's a pretty big gap. And we don't, we just don't think that's price. So that that's that's how you know we're we're gonna you know focus on earnings season. Where are the opportunities, both on the long and the short side? Because you know, there's still there are probably a bunch of companies that have already lowered the bar enough, and those are your better tenants to be buying. Don't be looking to buy companies that haven't lowered the bar at all, because this is not gonna be a situation where you know the average company avoids this downturn in earnings. It's gonna be very broad. And the way we see it.
3: Right. We began the hour talking about this report on Intel's layoffs, and you did have a note Sunday arguing that companies will have to take more significant action on labor, i.e. layoffs. And you actually looked at uh, jolts and claims and some of the time lags there. Can you talk about what you think might be coming?
4: Yeah, I mean, look, this is a really interesting uh, economic cycle, as you know. I mean, everything's happened in a very compressed manner. You know, we've called this the hotter but shorter cycle, and that, that's happening. But one other interesting aspect, Carl, as you know, is that, you know, companies have had a hard time finding employees because of the pandemic, the structural shortages in in labor and headcount. And so what could happen is we may get a soft landing in jobs, meaning, you know, like let's say we have a recession. We don't don't know the answer to that, but let's say we get one next year. Uh, We think it'll be mild, like from an unemployment standpoint, meaning unemployment only goes up maybe a couple hundred basis points or maybe two, three hundred, which is pretty modest in economic terms. But, you know, from an earnings standpoint, that's actually a bad outcome. You know, one of the things about the US equity market, the reason why it's done so well over the last 30 years is because companies are very good at cutting costs when they need to, and they're very efficient with that. And I'm not so sure they're gonna be able to reduce headcount as aggressively as they have in the past, given this structural shortage. We're gonna have to see how that plays out. But as far as our note goes, we think the process has started, meaning job openings have really come down. You guys were just talking about layoffs of some specific companies, we're seeing that too and eventually it will overwhelm. We will see negative payroll data at some point. We don't know if that's this year or next year or what time of next year, but we're going in that direction. And the question Mike, now is how deep will that be?
2: Yeah, so, so Mike, back to what you were saying about expecting a, an adjustment in 2023 earnings forecast. When is that coming? Is that coming, do you think, uh, this month in earnings reports or is it gonna wait until some of these companies see how the holiday goes and should we expect that uh, reality check to come in January, February?
4: It's exactly the right question, John. And, and we don't know the answer, unfortunately, I Wish we did. We had a crystal ball, but we don't. But what we can say in, you know, with pretty good clarity is that some companies will likely clear the decks starting this quarter. Seasonally, that's when they do it. They kind of say, well, let's just uh, clear the decks here and, and, and try to save 2023. But many other companies, as you point out rightly, will wait and see. They'll say, yeah, we don't know. Let's just see how things go the next two or three months. A lot's happening. we got an election coming up. Uh, we have, you know, the Fed could do certain things. There's all kinds of things happening. Why don't we just wait until January, February, when we report our full year numbers, and then we can kind of look forward? So I think it's going to be a mixed bag, and that's, that's what makes yeah. it challenging here, right? This bear market is well-established. It's been going on for a long time. We're seeing more two-way risk now. So you can't just be you know, full on bearish all the time. You have to respect that. And, but we don't think the bear market's over until those earnings come down. And that could take this quarter and next.
0: For the earnings season, Mike, that's right ahead of us. We've had warnings from the likes of FedEx, Micron, AMD. Andy was interesting because, you know, seen as an industry leader that's been taking market share. Um, what are some companies out there or sectors that you think will disappoint but haven't yet warned the market? What's their effect going to be?
4: Yeah, unfortunately, I think it's going to probably be more of the same. Like, I think the market's onto it now. I mean, consumer discretionary and technology are down the most because those are the areas that we've identified as having over earned the most in the pandemic, right? In the, in the lockdowns. And so that's where the downside is the greatest, where the operating leverage is the most severe. So the good news is, I would say the market's onto it. It's priced a lot of that, but we still think there's more to go. Um, I think, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to find either individual companies or sectors where uh, they can defend earnings, or we're trying to find companies where they've already cut the numbers three or four times, and it's like, okay, that's real, that's a reality check, and and they've got the numbers down there. Uh, On on the positive side, going back to what we like, we'd say, you know, it's been healthcare, it's been companies that have high operational efficiency, uh, and that's been working pretty well this year, but of course, they're expensive. So, you know, it's just, it's becoming more challenging. You know, it's hard to, to kind of find places to hide out in and and get these last couple of innings of the bear market over.
3: Yeah, I'm sure a lot, a lot of investors would go along with that that view. Uh, Mike, appreciate it very much. Great to see you, uh, Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley.
0: Well, the counter to that argument, a positive or maybe not as bad as feared earnings season for tech. We certainly saw that last quarter. Evercore's Mark Mahaney says most of big tech is actually trading at a very attractive valuation right now, joins us to discuss his top picks. Mark, first, tell me how you reached that conclusion, how you're thinking that valuations are looking good right now.
1: Well, multiples across at least the Internet space have been cut in half. Now they um, overrated. At the uh, in uh, 2021, so they deserved, in hindsight, a, a D rating this year, but uh, forward multiples have gone from something like 24, 25 times EBITDA down to 11 to 12 times EBITDA. The pre-COVID average was 15 times. I'm just talking about the large-cap internet names. Mm-hmm. So at least you've taken a lot of the multiple risk out. Now we're focused, as we have been the last co- quarter or two, on the estimates risks. And the one thing that's changed here is that you've seen a lot of cost measures taken by these companies. We've, uh, you know, we've been talking about the Uh, The hiring uh, uh, freezes, uh, the cuts, uh, the managing down of expenses from companies. We've heard this from Amazon. We've heard this from Google, uh, Facebook, some of the big names, Netflix, et cetera, Lyfts, names like that. So at the margin, that means that I think we still have negative. uh, We're likely to have more negative provisions on estimates than positive of this quarter. We've had very high skew towards negative the last three quarters. I just don't think the skew will be as negative because the company starting about three months ago started taking cost uh, uh, measures.
0: At the same time, Mark, um, within those three months and fairly recently over the last few weeks, we've been hearing from big economic bellwethers like FedEx, even a Samsung overseas. Um, the demand has caught even them off guard. It's weakened materially. Does that make you nervous? And why wouldn't that play out for some of the other big tech names? You've also got the startup space that could weigh on cloud, cloud computing revenue.
1: Yeah, I think all of those uh, Bellwether data points are cautious for tech. Um, most of tech, not all of it, but there's some uh, places. Uh, enterprise is going to be much better insulated, but nothing's perfectly insulated than consumer. So the consumer oriented names like uh, like a, like a Facebook, like a Netflix, like a, an Amazon, they're all going to face those same sort of uh, uh, economic tailwinds. We're looking for interesting opportunities. What I like about of Amazon, for example, is it already took uh, its cost medicine in the beginning of the year. It had unusually sharp cost spikes, and it's then worked against those. So I think you're going to start seeing improving margins. You see improving margins at Amazon in the back half of the year. I think the stock can uh, re-rate. Also, revenue growth is accelerating because you've finally begun the tough comps for uh, Amazon Facebook is trading at 10, 11 times gap earnings. I think they're going to be starting to really show you how low they're going to take their expense growth when they give their next year's guidance. And data points we saw last night, we put in our report this morning, they're seeing rising engagement. The market Hmm. is super bared up on Facebook. If engagement is rising, that's a dramatic positive for that name. And then Netflix, we like Netflix. It's our third pick because it's got the biggest catalyst out there in the Internet space. And that's the launch of an ad-supported offering.
2: I guess Meta would have to trim that metaverse spending a little bit to get there, but they've got uh, quite a bit to trim from and still spend billions. I I wonder um, how much you're factoring in what's happening right now with inventory and how that might end up affecting the digital ad market. Right now, you've got a lot of big box names clearing out inventory, which I imagine, you know, they're spending on some digital ads uh, to target that. But then you've also got this D2C reaction to the iOS and targeting changes where maybe they're backing away from certain types of spend. If all of that is happening as the economy is slowing down, does that eventually mean an overall sort of uh, spending recession in digital ads, the likes of which we might not have seen in quite a while?
3: Uh,
1: I, I think I think your, your setup is right there, John, you, you know, though you did make me uh, uh, point out that uh, we're at Amazon uh, Prime Days, or I, they've come up with another name for it, but it's really Amazon Inventory Days. I think Amazon went to the market couple of months ago and said, you have excess inventory, sell them on our Prime Day, October 10th and 11th. So I, I'm just struck by the irony of that. Uh, but uh, but it's a smart move on their part. There's a lot of excess inventory. It's now available for sale on Amazon uh, today during Prime Days. And then going forwards, yeah, there's an issue here um, with uh, you know, ad- ad- advertising advertising We're seeing more and more signs of advertising uh, softening. So I think that's and it's going to continue to soften in the next year. The question is, have the numbers come down enough? Uh, You know, we've had pretty material cuts at Facebook and to their credit, they've been very uh, specific about bringing down estimates. They've done it aggressively. Whether they're down enough or not, I don't know. But we're close, I think, to the bottom. Unless we have a really sharp, severe recession Next year, I think a lot of the—I uh, know the multiple on Facebook Meta has been de-risked. I think the estimates have largely been de-risked, and the market's really focusing on the cost side, and the company's starting to act on that. That's kind of why I like the stock. And yes, I'd love to see them take that 10 billion a year in metaverse spending and bring it down to 5 billion. And my guess is that the market would love that too. I'm hoping that's what they'll <laughs> talk about in a few weeks.
0: That would be a big cut. Um, But you're talking about all those value aspects that the street increasingly likes about Meta. Mark Mahaney, thanks so much for being with us. John, I like that. Amazon Inventory Day. I think I'm going to use it. Hey,
2: there you go. More accurate. Clear (laughs) it out. Uh, Next, the the under-the-radar announcement you might have missed from Meta's product event yesterday. Plus, more on why crypto bulls are bracing for regulation. TechJet is just getting started.
3: Regulation once again in focus for crypto investors as the space continues to sell off along with the broader markets. Our Kate Rooney's live in D.C. with more on that. Morning,
6: Kate. Hey, Carl. Good morning. Regulation is really by far the biggest theme I'm hearing about from investors and executives in crypto right now. They argue it's key for prices. It ensures some of the big Wall Street players keep entering the space. It would also help avoid more high-profile blowups like we've seen this year. And it makes sure entrepreneurs are still going to build here in the U.S. There is some tension, though, here in Washington over who should regulate crypto. The industry wants the CFTC over the SEC and SEC chair. Gary Gensler has been a little less open to adapting existing laws for crypto. The CFTC chairman at D.C. FinTech Week yesterday, though, pretty much saying the opposite.
3: We're going to have to adapt, right? Yeah. Like, there's no <laughs> doubt about it. This <laughs> is, not, I think this is not a very, like, in-the-box moment where everything is clear and perfect. This technology is very different. It's very new. And all agencies are going to have to adapt the current structure we have, because if not built decades ago, we are, you know, we are moving in an evolutionary time.
6: Time is running out for a crypto bill to pass with the midterms coming up. The Blockchain Association, a lobbying group here in D.C., says the Digital Commodity Consumer Protection Act has the best shot right now of getting a vote. Another avenue we might see for some clarity is the U.S. court system this morning Grayscale filed an opening brief in its lawsuit against the SEC. You can see multiple lawsuits against the SEC there. These legal decisions, guys, could set some new statutes and therefore set some of those guardrails the industry is looking for. Sheila Warren of the Crypto Council for Innovation, though, tells me there is a risk that the court system front runs any of that lawmaking we talked about. In the meantime, companies may see the space as too risky to operate in. Back to you. Kate, in a much broader
0: sense, I wonder what do you think has happened to the discussion around regulation and where lawmakers stand over the crypto winter? I mean, has there been more willingness, you think, as crypto prices and some of the, you know, riskiest stuff gets flushed out of the system? Or is that more
6: impetus to sort of crack down on crypto? That's a great point, Deirdre. That's been one of the big topics this week at that conference I mentioned, DC FinTech Week. The question over, has this helped the discussion over regulation? Or has it hurt the idea that a lot of these companies went bankrupt the argument from the industry is that you would rather as a regulator have some of these companies hedge funds in some cases operate within the u.s regulatory structure and therefore have more oversight than have them operate they've called these potential regulatory gaps or regulatory arbitrage that has actually been a a boon for the industry and saying hey guys look at what happened here that may have been prevented had we had some more guardrails and regulation. So it seems like that has actually been a big talking point for mm-hmm. the industry. Although it was a big black eye in the industry at the same time, we saw billions of dollars wiped out of the market.
0: Yeah, certainly two sides of it. Did it self-regulate? Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, I guess we won't know for some for years to come. Kate Vernie, yeah, thanks very much exactly. from DC. Thanks, G. Let's hit on something you might've missed from Meta's big event yesterday. The headsets took all the hype, but there was also a partnership that Meta announced with Microsoft, bringing Teams meetings to Meta's Quest VR headsets. An interesting window perhaps into both companies' vision for the future of work, and that's not the company's only cross-platform Teams push. Microsoft also announcing a partnership with Cisco to bring Teams to Cisco meeting devices, cameras, boardrooms. Guys, Ben Thompson, in his strategy note this morning, talks about Teams as sort of the de facto operating system that Microsoft is pushing across the Internet with these partnerships. And in terms of that meta partnerships here, Microsoft, John, essentially gets to piggyback off of, you know, what I guess at the moment is one of the leading VR headsets and unlikely that it's paying for that but able to have it because it has that go-to-market product already in Teams.
2: Yeah, always love the Stratechery take. I, I, I don't know, I think this, this Cisco one is more relevant in the near term, right? Because Cisco's got that penetration of devices that people are actually using to mm. get work done. When it comes to the metaverse for work, this reminds me of telepresence uh, from, from 10 plus years ago. I don't think there's anybody who's saying, oh, I just love Zoom meetings. I love Teams meetings. The only thing is I want to see fewer facial expressions, right? Less of a sense <laughs> of the real person. I want to see torsos, no legs, torsos, and feel like I'm sitting <laughs> in a low resolution conference room. That's what They've, would really make hey, my work day better.
0: <laughs> they added the facial expressions, John, Yeah, or but, they're adding them. But I don't know. know. And supposed not, to add legs.
2: It's not like this. Like I can't make this kind of semi-disgusted with the metaverse face <laughs> in the metaverse. That, that doesn't come across. Hey, quite we're the not same in the way.
0: same place. I can still see your, your facial expressions, even even the ones when we talk about the metaverse, right, no. Carl? We we know them well. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, guys. I mean, some of the reviews yesterday were pretty rough, John. I'm sure you saw Washington Post. It was more like the metaverse, uh, and and just the idea that it, because you have the the headsets, it locks you out of other people who are actually in a room with you. Um, I got to hand it to Laura Martin of Needham today. We admire Zuckerberg's commitment to a vision in the face of overwhelming odds, uh, willing to make big bets that may change
2: the world for 2 billion consumers or create an epic fail. It's a cl- we don't know if they're making this mistake, but the classic tech mistake is to say, we've got this wonderful technology. Why don't you want it? You should want this. We'll see. Speaking of consumer hardware, we've got even more after the break with Microsoft's device chief talking demand pricing a whole lot more ahead of a big surface event that's happening now for the company happening today tech check is back after this
4: canva presents stories to keep you up at night it was an ordinary work day until
5: the singapore presentation is at 3 a.m
4: the office was shocked
5: (laughs) that's when we sleep Welcome back to TechCrunch, I'm Bertha Coons, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Wholesale prices rose more than expected in September as food and fuel costs remained high. Year-over-year, wholesale inflation fell for the third straight month, but remains high at 8.5%. Pepsi shares are up more than 4% and are on track for their biggest one-day gain in over two years. Pepsi beat estimates and raised profit guidance thanks to strong demand in the face of higher product prices. CFO Hugh Johnson says the company is well-positioned for whatever the economy brings.
4: If a recession came, we're generally going to be a better place than most. And right now, we don't see any signs of that.
5: And Moderna is surging after it said that it will develop its cancer vaccine with Merck. This vaccine would be tailored to each individual patient, truly personalized medication to help boost their immune response to specific tumors. Moderna has been expanding its vaccine portfolio as demand for COVID shots is expected to decline from the pandemic highs. But boy, wouldn't it be exciting if you could actually get a vaccine that protects you from cancer, John?
2: Mm, Yes, Bertha Coombs, thank you. Turning now to Microsoft, the company announcing New Surface products today, updates to Windows 11, all in a challenging time for the overall PC market. Shipments down 15% in the third quarter, according to IDC. How's Microsoft gonna navigate the current market? Joining us now, Microsoft Corporate Vice President of Modern Life, uh, Yusuf Mehdi, Uh, it's a longer title. Search in there, devices, lots of stuff, but Yusuf, uh, stuff that people use. Um, Let's get right into Surface, particularly the Surface Pro 9. Interesting, you've gone all Intel across the line at a time when AMD is surging. I want to talk about that a little later, but uh, ARM when it comes to 5G. What's the progress on ARM, especially as we see Apple with the M1 and M2 gaining a lot of share in PCs?
7: Uh, yeah, John, thanks, thanks for being here. Uh, opportunity to talk to you about it. Uh, with the new Surface devices, what we're excited about doing is continuing the plan we've been on, which is to offer different choice with silicon, and to kind of push in different areas. Uh, Intel has given us a real powerful platform to continue to improve the performance. Our new Surface Pro uh, 9 and Laptop 5 are 50% more powerful than the previous predecessors. Also on Pro 9, as as you mentioned, we're also offering the SQ3 chip that we're able to do. What that lets us do is it lets us put NPU chips on there, neural processing chips that use the power of the cloud to do really advanced AI things. So for example, if you're doing a video call, you can keep eye contact, as you move around, the camera follows you and you get better voice isolation. So some really great things we can do with the innovation in Silicon.
2: Now in the past, you've had some AMD options in the Surface line. Why not this time? Uh, Did you get a good price from Intel? Is is this just the most attractive configuration given the times?
7: Yeah, uh, that's that's exactly right. Uh, Every time we're releasing a new product, we look at all of the options available on the marketplace in terms of what chips can work for what different use cases and needs. And we felt at this time, that being able to get that 5G performance, being able to tap into the cloud and AI, that would be a great opportunity for Pro9. One of the things that's exciting today is we announced a new Windows 11 update is now broadly available. And one of those capabilities, it uses the power of AI for creation. So we have a whole new app that's called Designer, that lets people create social media posts and uh, invitations, et cetera, and automatically have uh, images created on the fly, just using your words, um, if you want, and you can create those images, and that uses all the power of that that MPU that we talked about.
0: Yusuf, um, I wonder why you guys aren't fully embracing that microsoft design ARM chip, like Apple has successfully done with its M series. Why give your customers two options, and why would someone want that Intel chip over the SQ3? Yeah,
7: it's a great question. You know, uh, as you as you as you know. Uh, We have over 1.4 billion uh, monthly active devices with Windows. It's a huge base. We have a lot of corporate accounts that have standardized on platforms. And so they, for example, use uh, Intel computers and they want to keep that standardization. So we want to offer choice to our customers. Uh, But we are absolutely pioneering and pushing forward um, as we are doing with the SQ3 chip this time. And so, um, you know, given the size of our base relative to other platforms, uh, we're going to continue to offer choices and uh, use the best technology where, where it's needed.
0: It sounds like the reason you're keeping the Intel chips is because of sort of legacy networks, what a lot of enterprises use. Um, do you think that eventually you stop using Intel chips altogether and turn towards the ARM-based ones?
7: Uh, you know, again, there are, you know, to your point, there are a lot of reasons you do different things. So, for example, the Intel chip, all of the compatibility, all of the apps that currently run today, they run smoothly. That's a big benefit for corporate customers. Certainly with the new chips, you're able to do advanced things you can do today. Um, and so that requires some additional work to get the apps to run. Uh, you know, we're going to go wherever customers want. So if customers want a particular chip, we're going to support them. That's one of the beauties of the Windows platform is just the openness and the ability to work with different apps, different services. Again, one of the things we talked about today is the fact that we're bringing our software onto other devices. And right. then we're, today, one of the new things in Windows 11 is you can now get iCloud, uh, your iPhotos from your iPhone right within the Windows Photos app.
2: Yeah, that, that certainly is interesting. For the last question I got for you, take a step back. When Surface first launched, it was controversial. OEMs were concerned you were going to cannibalize them, and you said that your real goal and purpose was to lead at the premium end of the market. I think it's pretty well established that has worked out for you. People are comfortable now. But as the economy slows down and you've got things like the Surface Studio 2 Plus um, at 4300 bucks, for that high-end user still, what is success for Microsoft with Surface when you know maybe there's not as much premium appetite in the market?
7: Uh, yeah, you know, good question, John. I mean, it's always good to remind ourselves, there'll probably still be about 200 million PCs sold this year. Uh, there is demand for people who want the very best in computing, who need that performance. Um, the Surface Studio is, you know, we're selling those as fast as we can make them. People love those. Uh, and then on the high end, even with the new Pro-9, um, th- there that is absolutely still a market for that. You're right though, in this tough economic time, there is more in the need for value. Uh, and we're doing a lot of work on that as well. Um, lowering our opening price points, trying to make, make it easier. And then our OEM partners are doing a great job uh, in that five to $800 price span where I think there's a lot of demand for people today coming in to buy laptops, 13 to 15 inches in size.
2: All right. Yusuf Mehdi, Corporate Vice President, at Microsoft on Surface and partnerships and more. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Watching markets
3: today, NASDAQ kind of swirling around the flat line, currently up about six points, uh, very small uh, increase. Dow's up 108 and we keep just circling south of 3,600 on the S&P. Tech Check is back in just a moment. Very volatile week for tech as a slew of big names hit some new, notable,
8: and even all-time lows. Our Dom Chu is watching some of the key names today. Morning, Dom. All right, good morning, Carl. So let's take you through that big story because with the QQQ NASDAQ 100, we did yesterday close at the lowest level since July of 2020. So if you take a look at the mix of stocks that are hitting some notable lows on a multi-year basis, check out some of the blue-chip names. Microsoft, by the way, hitting the lowest level since January of 2021, so a little over a year. But Intel. Lowest level since March of 2014. And AT&T, this lowest level since March of 2003. So that comm services tech trade is both playing out. Okta, the lowest, by the way, since November of 2018. Block, the company formerly known as Square, April 2020. And NVIDIA, the lowest since August of 2020. And then also, but by the way, check out what's happening here with some of those post lows that we've seen in some of the IPO, hot IPO names. Spotify, 52% below its opening trade on IPO day. DoorDash 77% below it and Lyft 88% below its IPO first day trade. Watch those, John. Back over to you.
2: Man, rough performance, rough report cards. Dom, thanks. Speaking of underperformers, Credit Suisse initiating satellite company Rocket Lab at Underperform as they turn bearish on the broader launch industry outside of SpaceX. Shares are 75% off their highs. More market action after the break. Stay with us.
0: Let's get a check on Shares of Meta. We talked about its new VR product. The stock is lower again today after, let's call it a tough reception from reviewers. But Needham's Laura Martin out with a new note, still an underperform, though she does allow that she's more bullish on Mark Zuckerberg's vision for the metaverse, calling him, quote, America's CTO. She's not the only bull on the street. Don't miss a deeper dive into new use case VR with contributor Tom Rogers. That's after the break. Stay with us. Meta Meta unveiling the Quest Pro headset last night. There's Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, he continues to talk up his investment in the Metaverse, but Trying to reset expectations for a longer-term payoff, telling The Verge, "quote I think that this is just another big vector for developing the next computing platform. This is a step toward all 200 million of those people who get new PCs every year, starting instead to do some of the work in VR. So that's VR for the enterprise. Here to discuss, Tom Rogers, CNBC contributor, longtime media and cable executive, who has another maybe unexpected reason to be bullish on VR. Uh, Tom laid out for us."
9: Well, thanks for having me, and first let me say I have been very fortunate to be associated with River Spring Health and the Hebrew home in Riverdale for uh, 25 years, under the leadership of Dan Reingold, CEO, and Dave Pomerant, COO, many awards for helping elderly improve their lifestyle, recently turned to technology as a way to do that more with a grant from the Hauser Foundation, and VR and AR have been a real emphasis in terms of how technology can improve the life of seniors fascinating finding first i should say i have been a real skeptic of near-term adoption of the metaverse figure meta will figure it out over time but near-term adoption i've been skeptical but 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 on the other hand as john would say uh, what we have seen here at the hebrew home is participation by seniors with headsets on bringing the outside world to them being able to take trips to paris to wall of China, to be able to uh, uh, go beyond the confines of uh, living in an, in an old age facility, uh, being able to visit an old neighborhood that they used to live in, uh, beginning to uh, furnish GoPro cameras to families so weddings and graduations and little league games can be brought in and they can virtually experience being actually there. It seems to ease agitation, it increases the attention span. The withdrawn become more engaged. They reminisce with more passion. These are 80 and 90-year-olds, and the comfort level of the headset seems to be fine. Now, I should point <laughs> out, all this coverage of Meta that you're talking about, this is not a Meta headset. This is made by Pico with an experience developed by a Boston-based company called Rendezvous that provides VR to the healthcare industry. And uh, Pico happens to be owned by Dance, which, as you know, owns TikTok.
0: Okay, uh, Tom, so interesting it's not actually a meta headset. Um, You know, it's unexpected, I say, because even my mom, who's not that old, has trouble working her smartphone and PC still. Um, So it's a little surprising to look at sort of an older demographic that is becoming comfortable with these devices. Do you think that this can really pick up on a large scale, that they're going to be comfortable with this operating system when, you know, a lot of folks are still trying to get used to the current ones?
9: I think so. I mean, obviously, uh, it has to be done in the right way with people who understand the needs of seniors and uh, with a headset that uh, uh, makes them comfortable. But uh, we have over uh, uh, close to 300 participating. This isn't a forced activity. This is something people are uh, looking for to do more of. They use it on average about three times a week. The Hebrew home is having to double the number of headsets that it makes available, given the demand. And it seems to be... uh, quite successful. Now, this is largely, uh, I call it more of an AR experience in that it's uh, experiencing the real world virtually. But with the comfort level and the interest in doing it, you can easily see how this population would be interested in an avatar that presents a look that they might be uh, more comfortable with socializing with others and be in a safe virtual environment where they can get out of a more isolated setting and into greater socialization which could open up their world in other ways. So I see this being a pathway to uh, more virtual reality uh, that uh, really does serve the needs of seniors. We all have parents and grandparents who are uh, somewhat uh, isolated as they get older and this could really be an interesting way to uh, change their whole day to day experience.
0: Yeah. Uh, one potential use case. Tom Rogers, thanks so much for being with us. We'll talk to you again soon.
9: Thanks for having me.
2: Do you hate to call you out? Uh, your mom not that old? Ouch. Okay. Still to come. <laughs> Despite corporate cost cuts and inflation across the board, venture capital is doubling down on business travel. We will discuss next. to so go away. Back with you. Welcome back. Is it time to double down on business travel? Despite the current down cycle, business travel company TripActions announcing a $300 million funding round, bringing its valuation north of $9 billion. Here to discuss TripActions co-founder and CEO Ariel Cohen. Ariel, good to see you. Well, I want to get into how the business is doing. But first, I've got a question about the financing, because debt is becoming an important component of how later stage companies are raising uh, Arctic Wolf last week, $400 million debt. Uh, A a big piece of that. How much of that is uh, to to keep the valuation high? How much of it is because these investors want more guarantee that they're going to get their money back?
10: Yeah, first of all, I'm happy to be here, John. Uh, You know, we've been talking uh, throughout, you know, the last three, four years. So you can you really followed our story through COVID. And now, you know, as we are coming out of this. Uh, And regarding your specific question, I think that companies right now are finding a lot of different ways to fund themselves. We actually uh, combined debt and equity. So it was important for us to set a valuation for the company. And obviously, we did an up round in a down market, which tells you a lot about uh, the the strengths of uh, our business right now. Uh, Debt is part of this. It's the best way to optimize, I would say, valuation, dilution and other things at this stage of the company.
2: Got you. Now tell me about the business travel market at this time. It seems like face to face for certain things is coming back, but uh, companies are also trying to lean into to not doing that. So how much of what your platform is doing is cost management? How much of it is driven by the uh, the macro environment with how much business travel overall is happening?
10: Yeah, for trip actions, I actually think that we are in the perfect place because on one side, companies are realizing that it is extremely important to meet face to face. So, uh, just to give you an idea, uh, we have a product teams travel. These are teams that are traveling for offsites, onsites, meeting together. This product grew in August at a seventy percent rate month over month, right? So that gives you an indication. So there are a lot of new use cases: product teams, R and D teams traveling, but we also see the old use cases, such as sales team going to close a big deal. Actually, there is a lot of pressure right now on companies to meet their numbers. And we know that to meet the numbers, you actually need to meet with your prospects, clients, and bringing this business in. Uh, so this is a, this is one side. On the other side, the fear of recession, companies are saving or need to save money. This is what RipActions is really good at. We are providing real-time global visibility to any type of spend of the organization, whether it's travel, entertainment, procurement, so companies CFOs really need our capabilities right now.
3: I wonder if there, there are limits, though, to uh, the business trip at large. For, in other words, um, do you think there's a situation in which a trip to Asia, uh, Japan, certainly Hong Kong, is just going to be a bridge too far for some?
10: I don't know. You know, people asked me the same question even in this studio in uh, June, uh, you know, 2020. And uh, people were saying that uh, people will never travel again. And I, will, I was always saying the same thing. Nothing replaces the in-person connections. Uh, It is so important to meet face-to-face. You can do video conferencing. I'm doing video conferencing with you right now, but nothing replaces the face-to-face connection. And I think that will stay. Uh, We are actually seeing it with our customers. We see uh, more and more trips per company. Uh, We see the numbers getting back almost to the same place of where they were uh, pre-COVID. And in fact, you know, prices right now uh, on flights went down uh, to levels that are below O19, right? So you can actually okay. see the growth of execution.
0: Right. Um, Ariel, whenever you see an up round these days in the current market environment, amid all the volatility, it does raise some eyebrows. Did you use public comps here? Can you give us some color as to how you arrived at this? You guys have actually seen your valuation double over the past few years. Um, how, how did you get there?
10: Yeah, first of all, our business in terms of new customers and activity has grown more than 4x on a pre-COVID. So that's our business. But if you just take a year to year growth, we grew this year or we're going to end this year at the 5x growth rate. Our, uh, our bookings on the bookings of travel, we are going at a 5x on expenses at a 7x. So nobody in this industry is right now uh, growing at our pace and we are actually changing the industry. We are taking share for our, our competitors that are basically running something that is uh, extremely antiquated, right? You need to call an agent, you need to submit a form to expense. You, nobody likes to do expense or calling an agent to book their trip. So by making it all online, by it, making it the best offer that is out there, we are growing so fast that yes, when you use comparables, this valuation is actually a fair valuation.
2: All right, Ariel Cohen. Uh, CEO and co-founder of Trip Actions with uh, also an eye into what's happening in business travel. Thank you. Mm -hmm.
10: Thank you so much.
0: Let's get a check on things as we head into the half. The markets have been rallying somewhat over the last hour. It's been a choppy session, but the Nasdaq now up about four tenths of a percent. The Dow up 150 points. They're trying to break that five session losing streak. Carl, uh, we'll see if it can hold on to this. Still the end of the session, still some ways away and anything happens these days.
3: Uh, Very uh, chock full of uh, data, of course, PPI this morning, CPI tomorrow, Pepsi this morning, John, and Delta tomorrow. Speaking of business travel, maybe we'll get a sense as to whether or not some of this capacity they're adding,
2: at least on the Atlantic side, is going to get filled. Yeah, uh, and I think you said it was CPI. That is a big deal. Got to call out a few stocks right now. Lyft uh, is up more than 6%, 6 6.5% today. Remember, it had that big dive along with Uber And others Uh, yesterday, Uber's up more than three and a half, DoorDash up four uh, as people were responding to what the Labor Department seems to have brewing. Roblox also up six percent. Who says the metaverse is dead, right? Um, They're battling back, Carl.
3: We're going to say, John, I'm sure that uh, as some of those reviews came in yesterday, you were probably sitting back just nodding approvingly, especially from the Washington Post. Uh, that was not, my avatar. not a stellar review. <laughs> not me. It yeah, was my exactly. avatar doing that. Yeah. Exactly. So for the time being, we're going to continue to circulate around 3,600.
2: You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses,